Well, we're going to take a break from Kevin's series in Judges. Um, so this week, as we head, is this is Palm Sunday week, right? The week we celebrate leading into Easter of, over this next week. Um, this week, I'll be preaching, and the next week, Kevin will be preaching on the resurrection of Christ, and then he'll get back into his Judges series after that. Uh, but this is one of those great Sundays that we get to focus in and hone in on the cross of Christ, right? We tend to, we, we love Easter Sunday because there's resurrection and there's hoopla and there's all kinds of excitement. The hardest part for every one of us is not to miss the cross because of the weight of the importance and the purpose of the cross. So if you got your words, we're going to Matthew chapter 26 today. Matthew chapter 26 and while you're turning there, I just want to give us a little bit of um, the lenses through which we're going to look at this passage. This is Jesus and his disciples and their time in the Lord's Supper together. And what I want us to do is I want us to try to look through the lenses of the disciples, not the lenses we tend to look through. Right? We look through the lenses as people who know the rest of the story. We know what happens. We can read the, the story of the Lord's Supper. We can read of Judas' betrayal. We can read of all kinds of things. And we just kind of sit back and relax and say, I know the end of the story. An example for me personally, um, as an Aggie and loving Aggie football, right? When we first moved to the SEC and we got the chance to play Alabama, right, for that first time. My son to this day, this years later, my son still says, Dad, you remember that game when you got really excited at the TV? And we know exactly which game he's talking about. It's that first Alabama game. Excited's a good word. There might have been a little bit of yelling, right, at that TV. And this picture of, uh, we didn't know what was going to happen. You get excited to watch the game. You want to see what happens next. But if I'd recorded that game and I'd known the score before I sat down to watch it, I'd have watched it very, very differently, right? I'd have kicked back in my chair, Alabama scores a touchdown, I'd said, no worries, I'm not worried about it, we're going to get them in the end, right? And i just watched the game and wouldn't worry about the emotion of the up and down of what happens in that moment, I would just say, I know the end, so we're all good. And as believers, there's a reality to that that is so true that we need to hold on to. But there's also the picture of when we read the disciples' time with Jesus, we can put those lenses on if we know the end and we forget the reality of what they walk through and what they were facing. So I want us to try to get into the, the lens of looking the way they saw it. They were following Jesus, and he was supposed to be the Messiah, the one that was going to free them from the oppression of Rome. That was their expectation. Kevin talked about it last week, that many who were looking for the Savior, the Messiah, the one that was to come, his role was going to be to free them from Rome's oppression. Nobody was talking about the oppression of sin in regards to the Savior at that moment. They thought he was something different. And so I want us to look. We don't know. It, the disciples didn't know the cross. They didn't know what was coming. They didn't know how it was going to play out. So let's read with their eyes. In Matthew chapter 26, and we're going to begin in verse 17. On the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Where do you want us to make preparation for you to eat the Passover? He replied, Go into the city to a certain man and tell him, The teacher says my appointed time is near. I'm going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. 
So here's, here's the quick picture, right? Okay, this is a season of celebration. This is a season of celebrating for them what, Jesus, what, the, what God had done way back in Egypt. As they're getting ready for the Passover, they're getting ready to celebrate this. The, the Passover was when the Israelites were in bondage. God told them, take an perfect, unblemished young lamb. Kill it and put the blood on the door frames of your houses. And your house will be spared, your firstborn will live. But everyone who does not have the blood on the frame of their door, their firstborn son will die. Okay, so the Israelites, their people were spared, their sons were spared. God provided a way of freedom for them to leave Egypt. The celebration, the season of celebration is marking all of that. So they're getting ready for that celebration. But notice in verse 18, what Jesus said, the teacher says, my appointed time is near. Can you see it the way the disciples saw it? Oh, here we go. His appointed time is near. It's about to get crazy and he's going to provide freedom. We're going to celebrate this season together, which is a great season to celebrate because God provided freedom from Egypt. Now he's going to provide freedom from Rome. Let's go. Let's do this. The appointed time is near. That's the way they would have read most likely what he was saying in that moment. Looking for freedom from oppression from Rome. And so they get ready. They prepare this meal. And then verse 20. You can imagine the excitement in the room as they celebrate together. And then look what happens. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve. And while they were eating, he said, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. You can just hear the air go out of the room, right? What do you mean betray you? Your appointed time is near. This is almost the right time. What do you mean one of us is going to betray you? You tell the mood shifted because you see it there in verse 22, the next verse. They were very sad and began to say to him one after the other, surely not I, Lord. Surely it's not me. Surely I'm not going to be the one to betray you. Am I? Look how Jesus replied to them. Jesus replied, The one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him, but woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely not I, Rabbi. Jesus answered, yes, it is you, or a better translation, or you yourself have said it. Get that picture here? They're all saying, surely it's not I, Lord. Surely it's not I, Lord. And Jesus said, the one who's dipped his hand in with me. This is more clearly a picture of intimacy with Christ. Those who are dipping together, there would be one of those who are there in that intimate relationship with him that would betray him. But notice Judas's response in verse 25. Surely not I, Rabbi. You see the difference between Judas's response and the rest of the disciples? Did you even catch that difference? They all said, surely not I, Lord. And what did Judas say? Surely not I, Rabbi. You know the difference there? Rabbi means teacher, good teacher. These would be a respected person. There's a big difference between seeing Jesus as Lord and seeing him as a good teacher or a wise teacher. See, Judas 
We, we see the passage, the verses right before we get this Lord's Supper section. It talks about Judas is going to betray Jesus. And what's he going to betray him for? He's going to betray him for some silver, some money. You know the difference between Judas and the rest of the disciples? Judas was dabbling his foot into the river to test out whether Jesus would be most beneficial for him. The rest of the disciples said, we're going to surrender ourselves to you, whether it's beneficial to me or not, because you are Lord. There's a big difference between those two. And it's clear that many of us at times have sought after some type of religious experience we dabble our feet into it, saying, I'll check it out and see if it works, and as long as it works, then maybe I'll give more, and I'll surrender more of my life to Christ. The reality is we either surrender or we don't. There is no in-between. He's either Lord, and we surrender ourselves to him fully as Lord, or he is not. There is no dabbling in. There is trusting in, and there is not trusting in. And Judas, the response of Christ to Judas was, but woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. See, this picture of dabbling, I don't know about you, but I don't like cold water at all. If you go to the river and it's cold, um, some people want to put their foot in and, and test it. And if you're like me, if I put my foot in first, I will take it back out and I will not jump in. Right? But some of us are a little crazier. And we just run and we jump straight in the water. And it gets warmer as you're in the water and it's not quite as cold as what you felt and thought it was. This is the reality of what we do. We, we look at religion and somehow we dabble our foot into it and we think this is supposed to be a picture of Christ. And Jesus said, I have so much more for you than religious rituals. I have a relationship waiting for you if you would trust in me and see me as Lord and not something to test for your own benefit. You catch the difference between those two? Because one was a man of betrayal. The others that saw him as Lord and surrendered themselves to him, no matter what. No matter what was in front of them. And that changed what happened. Because here's the reality. That doesn't mean that they were perfect. If you look down just below this section where it talks about the Lord's Supper in verse 31, Jesus goes on to predict the denial of Christ and all the other disciples. He said, all of them are going to deny me. They say, no, we're not. And Jesus says, yes, you are. And you, you see that they denied Christ and Judas betrayed Christ. What was the difference? The difference wasn't that either one was perfect. The disciples weren't perfect in the way that they followed the Lord, but they had surrendered to Jesus as Lord, not simply as someone to give him personal benefit. So they took their will, their desires, and they laid it at the feet of the Lord and said, we are still going to be broken, but we're going to trust you as Lord in the midst of our brokenness. It wasn't an expectation of perfection. It was an expectation of brokenness and submission to the Lord and surrender to him. So as they surrendered to him, we see this picture of, you know, you don't take any passage of scripture in and of itself apart from the rest of them. Notice what the writers did here and what Jesus did here. Immediately before the Lord's Supper and immediately after, we see the brokenness of humanity. 
We see Judas ready to betray Christ, and we see those that want to follow Christ wholeheartedly, we see them not being able to to completely on their own strength, and they deny Christ. We see the brokenness of humanity, and sandwiched between the brokenness of humanity, we see the holiness of Christ. Because there is brokenness on all sides of human nature. And Jesus is going to acknowledge that and provide a way for truth. And that's where this supper comes into play as he paints this picture. So let's keep going. Verse 26, while they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, take and eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Can you put yourself in the mind of the disciples at that point? Okay, a little bit of craziness has gone on. They're not really sure what's happening. And then all of a sudden, Jesus takes some bread, breaks it, gives it to them, and says, this is my body. Imagine sitting there, one of them elbowing the other one and going, what's he mean by that? Right? They, yet they'd been with him long enough to know. The other one leans back and says, well, he's always shown us what he means eventually, so just hang on. We'll see it someday. And then he takes the cup and he pours it and passes it around and says, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Okay, that's when people tend to bail out sometimes, thinking we're drinking blood. All right, this is not some zombie apocalypse thing. Right, this is the picture that Christ is giving of what he's about to do. He's making it very clear what's about to happen. You know why he wants to make it clear to his disciples? Because all chaos is about to break loose on his disciples and they don't know it. Everything crazy is about to happen to them. The one that they're waiting on to free them from the oppression of a Roman government is about to die and they're gonna go crazy and not know what to do. Have you ever felt like your life is going crazy and you don't know what's next and you think, I'm following the Lord and I'm going right where he wants us to go and he's about to break through and he's gonna do something awesome and this is gonna be amazing and then all of a sudden the bottom falls out and you go, I wasn't planning that. And chaos ensues and you begin to wonder, God, where are you? Jesus is preparing his disciples for the cross here. He's preparing them so that in the moments that that chaos comes and they begin to walk through and then they see his resurrection and they see what he's done afterwards, they will be able to clearly tell that this was not by chance that Christ went to the cross. This was not some chaos that God didn't have control of. This is highly intentional and God was never out of control for one moment. When they look back and see this supper, they know, oh my goodness, all these things that happened, the cross, the beatings of Christ, the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, all of those were planned from way back at the foundation of the world. My confidence in the Lord will grow because I trust what he has done. It was not chaos, it was intentional. Jesus is making it clear to his disciples he was working intentionally not haphazardly. So for us, as we look at our lives and the craziness and the haphazardness of life comes, we know we serve a God that is not chaotic. He is clear and intentional with everything that he does. So as you have questions, as you question what he's allowed or what he's doing or what's going on around you, 
We get to look back to the cross of Christ and say, you know what, I don't know the answers, but I do know that he paid for my sins on the cross. And if he paid for my sins, I know that I can trust him with this moment. And I can rely on him. So as the disciples would get a new meaning to what the blood looked like and what it meant. It wasn't just celebrating, the wine wasn't just celebrating what had happened in the past, it was celebrating what Jesus was about to do in the next few moments, in the next few days. What would happen to him? He wants to put the blood of Christ on the door frames of our souls to provide freedom from sin, not simply freedom from the oppression of a human government. There's a very big difference, and the disciples would see that in time. And Jesus was making it clear. But it wasn't just so they could look back and hope. Look what he does next. In verse 29, I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. You see what he's doing? He said, not only is this to be representative of forgiveness of sins, which is the whole point of this thing. Jesus said, look, there's Judas who's going to betray me here who never really wanted to follow me. There's my disciples here who would love to follow me, but they don't have the ability to do it on their own strength. But here I am in my blood on the cross. I'm going to provide a covering for all who would trust in me for the forgiveness of sins. And by the way, I'm not going to drink this again until I drink it with you anew in my kingdom. Right? This picture of what he's telling them of there's going to come a day when you and I are going to celebrate this again and it is going to be more beautiful than anything you could ever imagine. Think about where Jesus was able to see in that moment. He could see the persecution of the disciples as they followed him for the rest of their life. He could see the heartache, the brokenness, the rejection. He could see everything that was coming. And he said, I want you to know something. We are going to celebrate again. So when you hit those moments where you don't think you can go anymore, celebrate by eating the bread and drinking the cup and knowing that that is not just about the past, it is about the future. That there's a day coming when there'll be no more pain, no more sorrow, no more hurt, no more brokenness, no more suffering but the fullness of the experience of the freedom in Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but I'm ready to experience that day. So that every time we take this bread and drink this cup, we are able to look back and say, Lord, thank you, because at that moment when you were on the cross and you took the payment of my sin that was so heavy that I couldn't pay it, and you took the payment of the sin for everyone who would follow and trust in you, there's forgiveness of sins where I can be so grateful of that forgiveness that any moment in my life that I want to be ungrateful, all I got to do is look back at the cross and know it pales in comparison to what you did and gratefulness ought to come rushing back in. But not only do I get to look back and see the forgiveness, I get to look forward and see the fulfillment. I get to see the fulfillment of what he's doing. I get to look forward and know that there's a coming day where he will return and we will go back with him and we will celebrate that supper together in a way that will blow all of our minds. So I can endure today knowing what's coming tomorrow. Right? 
Our daughter's birthday is today. And the anticipation yesterday of what would come today gave her great hope in yesterday. And I couldn't help but watch her yesterday be so excited about her birthday and think how small is that a glimpse of how we ought to live every single day in the hope of the return of Christ. That if she looked at me and said, Daddy, tomorrow's my birthday and we get to celebrate. I say, you're right, baby, we do get to celebrate tomorrow. And as Jesus looks at us, and as we take this supper, he's looking at us and says, child, we will celebrate again soon. I hope you're ready to celebrate again soon. So that every time we eat the bread, we look back in gratefulness for the forgiveness of our sins, and we look forward to the hope of his return. Every time we drink the cup, we remember the covenant of his blood that he poured out for the forgiveness of our sins and we we are reminded of the return of Christ in such a way that we will feast again with him in great celebration and that ought to motivate us every single day to know that we carry the picture of Christ to a broken, dying world. 1 Corinthians 11, when it talks about the eating of the supper together. It says, as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Every time we do this together, we proclaim his death. And the weight of sin and the hope of the future every single time. So that's why that passage goes on to tell us to examine our hearts before we take the supper so that we don't take it in an unworthy manner Because if we take it in an unworthy manner, we eat and drink judgment upon ourselves. Why? Because it is a proclamation of the death of Christ every time we take it. And it's to be a reminder of the forgiveness of sins every time we take it. I don't know about you, but there's something about collectively seeing a reminder of what the Lord is doing and what he's done and what he will do as one body of believers together. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, for the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Every time we see this table, we will see one of two things. If we've trusted in Christ, trusted in him as our Lord, we see the power of Christ. We see the power of God right here. Not at the table itself, but in the picture and the reminder of what he's done. But if we are trusting and relying on ourselves and not believing in Christ, every time we see this table, it is a reminder of what we consider foolishness. How do you see this table today? How do you see this picture of what Christ has done? And as he sat with his disciples, have you put your trust in him fully? Or are you dabbling in a little bit of Jesus just to hopefully get enough to make my life better? Maybe make me a little more moral but I have not surrendered my life to him. May this table be a reminder to us today that our lives are surrendered to him as Lord and that what he did on the cross was every bit of the payment we need for the forgiveness of our sins. So I'm gonna ask the men to come forward.